you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Joshua. My grandpa, I heard him preach this sermon. Uh, heard him preach too shortly before he passed away. Um, one, he preached out of Revelation about God giving us a new name, but another, he preached out of the book of Joshua uh, on God's uh, power. Now, he knew how to pronounce the word, but he always said Joshua. You couldn't get him to change that for nothing in the world. So he'd say, turn to the book of Joshua, chapter uh, number 10. And uh, I want to give you just a little bit of background of this story before we get into it, Joshua chapter number 10. But it centers around this little nation state uh, called Gibeon. And, you know, at that time, uh, civilization hadn't advanced like it has now. And, you know, there may be a king in Morganton, and just down the road over in Lenore, there'd be another king. And both of them were called kings and ruled over their little uh, area. So when Israel invaded the promised land, uh, you know, it was clear that God was on their side. They'd, Jews, they'd been warned by God not to make any treaties, any pacts, any agreements with those people, those nation states that were inside the promised land. And God had said, now, everyone must be driven out. You can't make friends with these people because you start making friends with them and you start uh, taking their wives uh, for your sons and giving your sons to their daughters. Uh, they'll just corrupt you and you'll start worshiping their God and or their gods. And uh, one of the reasons, well, really the only reason God told them in his word, he said, now I'm not doing this because you're good. I'm not driving them out. Don't get the big head, Israel. I'm driving them out because of their wickedness. They've been warned and they've been told and they've uh, not listened to what they've been told. So I'm going to drive them out, give you the land, but it's not because of you. It's because of their wickedness that I'm doing this uh, to them. So he said, don't leave any of them. Drive them all out, everyone. Well, after the destruction of Jericho, everybody here knows that story, marching around seven times, the walls fall down. And then after the destruction of Ai, and you know that story, that's when they got went into battle and they got whooped by this little old army because, you know, one of them had stole a garment and then lied about it, stole some stuff, tried to bury it and hide it in the tent, and there was sin in the camp, remember? And Joshua had to go through and figure all that out, and once he figured it all out and they repented and the people that had took part in that were uh, punished, then they went up and they fought the battle of Ai and they won that thing. So then the people of Gibeon heard about all that was going on. And they were terrified because they saw that God was with the children of Israel. And so they were, what are we going to do? You know, we're in the part of this place that they're taking over. So what did they do? Well, in chapter 9, I'm not going to go there. I would advise you, and it'd be good if you'd go back and read it. Um, but basically, here's what happens. This group of people from Gibeon, the leader, they get together, and they go over to the next town, however far away it was, the, uh, three less than three days' journey, the Bible says, so it'd probably be like about from here to Lenore. And they go to Joshua and the people of Israel, and they say, we're from far away. Uh, and even to the point that they took old wineskins and they roughed up their clothes and, you know, they let their beard grow long like they'd been traveling. And, I mean, they wanted to look like they had traveled for hundreds of miles to get there, and they 
took steps to deceive the children of Israel to make them think that. And they said, we're from far away and we want to make an agreement, a pact, a treaty uh, with your people uh, and you'll help us if we go to battle, we'll help you and we'll be buddies and we'll live together and uh, we'll be allies in this thing. Well, the whole problem was they was telling a lie because they was from just next door. They was that same group of people that God had said, Mm-mm, they can't stay, you've got to leave. Well, in chapter 9, it says something like this. The children of Israel, Joshua and the children of Israel, did not consult the Lord on this thing. You see, if they'd have simply consulted the Lord, he would have revealed to them and said, hey, they're tricking you. Don't don't sign no treaty with them. Uh, These are part of the people that you're supposed to drive out, and don't you pay attention to what they're saying. They're telling you a big old fat lie. But... They didn't do that, so they signed the peace treaty. Well, when they signed the peace treaty, I believe it was five kings. Uh, I may not have that number, but it was around five. They didn't like that because, hey, you got this group of people coming in and they're taking over things and you know, you're know you being a turncoat signing a, a peace treaty with them. You're supposed to be on our side. So they decided that they were going to go to war against uh, Gibeon. Well, even though the children of Israel had been disobedient and God clearly let them know that they should not have signed the peace treaty, Joshua and the children of Israel wanted to live up to their word. And I believe that God was on their side. We're going to see that here in just a minute. Not that they hadn't done wrong, but if you make a commitment, you ought to keep the commitment. So Joshua made that commitment and he said, Even though you tricked us, we signed this treaty to be allies and we're going to keep it. So when those kings, five of those kings, I believe it was, there's a whole bunch of them, comes against the children of Israel uh, who are now allied with the Gibeonites, there's a battle getting ready to take place and it's a battle that the Israelites cannot win on their own. And then we come to Joshua chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse number 12. The battle's uh, getting ready to start. It came to pass that the children of Israel uh, began to whoop them. In verse 11, they fled from before the children of Israel and they were going down, running from them. The Lord cast down great stones from heaven upon them. In verse number 11, and they died. And there were more which died with hailstones than they whom the children of Israel slew with the sword. Now verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, under the people that avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. And there was no day like that before it or after it that the Lord hearkened unto the voice of a man. For the Lord fought for Israel. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we've opened up your word tonight, God, I pray that you would help us to truly take what we read and what we hear and what we understand. And Lord, let it sink into our hearts that in it we might grow and you might receive glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Joshua and his army came to the rescue of those people. They're now fighting the battle. And this scripture passage that we just read is the result of that 
battle. So Joshua was summarizing what took place that day. But here's what I want you to see tonight, church, and this is going to be more like a devotional than a message because I know we got this business meeting and we got to get to it. But I want you to just think on this thought. When God steps into the ring, I was watching just the other night uh, uh, that MMA fighting and uh, uh, this fellow walks in there and they... Uh, you know, get up there nose to nose and the referee, he gives them the rules and all that and they stand back and they touch gloves and they come together and that one fellow on that one side reached out and went boop and he hit the ground and that was the end of the fight and it lasted about three seconds. It was over. I want to tell you something. That's what happens when God gets in the fight. And the good news tonight, church, is that God's on our side and he wants to get in the fight. There's some principles, some characteristics of this fight, though, that we need to look at and understand tonight. Number one, God will get in the fight, but we've got to ask. We've got to ask God to get in the fight. The Bible says right here in verse number 12, Then spake Joshua. When did Joshua speak? He spoke when these five kings come against him. He spoke when he understood that God had promised the promised land to those children of Israel. He spoke when he said he realized, hey, we can't do this thing on our own. If we're going to utterly defeat them like God has told us to, if we're going to be obedient to him and finish this thing we've started, we need God's help and we've got to ask. So God will get in the fight, but we've got to ask. In James chapter number 4, the Bible says, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. One of the greatest principles of the nature of reality was spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, knock and the door will be open." So God wants to get in the fight. He wants to be on our side. He does want to help us, but the principle there is is that we've got to ask him for his help. A lot of times we don't do that because, number one, we don't think he will. And number two, we're too proud to ask even if we think he will. The number one original, I guess you would say, um, sin in the Bible. You can turn over there to the book of Isaiah and it talks about it. It's when Satan was in heaven with God and he began to think he could do things just as good as God could. I mean, ultimately, that's simplifying the matter. But it says in the book of Isaiah that he said he could lift up his uh, eyes to heaven and be like the Most High. And Satan thought he didn't need God to exist. And that original sin of pride, thinking that he didn't need God to exist. So if we could literally say to ourselves tonight that I can't take my next breath without the strength of God. When I run upon a problem or an enemy or a, or a wall or a, a, an obstacle in my life, why in the world would I be too proud to ask God to fight for me and be on my side when my very next breath depends on Him giving it to me? So, God wants to get in the fight, but we've got to ask. But also, when God gets in the fight, there'll be no doubt that He is in the fight. 
Look what it says there in verse number 13. And the sun stood still and the moon stayed and the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Goes on down and says, So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and hasted not to go down about a whole day. A miracle took place. The sun stood still. And I don't understand how that happened. Uh, I can't un- tell you the relationship with gravity and the earth and the sun and the moon and all of that and the physics that goes into that. I'm not intelligent enough to understand all of that. But what I do know is God's intelligent enough to understand it. I mean, he created them and set those things in motion and decided that it'd take 365 days for the earth to go around the sun and then once every 24 hours the earth would rotate in relation uh, to that sun and it all worked together so that we could live and have a place to live and, and if God could do that and he's smart enough to do that then he could certainly control it and stop it and do whatever so that the children of Israel would know that God was in the fight and he was in the fight on their side and I don't know what miracle you need tonight You don't know what miracle I need. I don't want the sun to stop. That's what Joshua needed. That's not what I need. But what I do know is if we realize that God wants to get in the fight, and and if we'll simply ask him, he'll get in the fight and he'll fight on our side. If we'll do that in faith, he will make it very clear to us some way, somehow, that he's in the fight and, and that he's working on our behalf. So God wants us to call on him. He wants us to trust that he can perform miracles if that's what it takes. Sometimes it may just take for God to change our heart to bring about that end that's necessary or the heart of another person. It's no less of a miracle, trust me. Jesus said, well, let me ask you, which is it easier to do, to tell a man he's forgiven of sin or to say arise and walk? What I'm saying to you is it could be just as much a miracle to change someone's heart as it was to stop the sun or stop the moon or cause it not to go down so they could win the battle. Number three, God wants us to call on him so he can get in the fight. He wants us to know that he's there, but when he gets in the fight, it's always for a purpose. Look what it says there in verse number 13 once again. And the sun stood still, and the moon stayed unto the people that avenged themselves upon their enemies. There was a purpose for God getting involved. You see, he had made a promise to the children of Israel that said, I'm going to give you this land. And giving you this land is not dependent upon your power, your intelligence, your ability to uh, build a civilization but it's so that my name can be known. So there was a purpose behind it. God gets involved when there is a legitimate need and this need that we see here was legitimate but if God has made you a promise, the need that you have in your life right now as we gather here tonight is a legitimate need. So what do we do? We call on him. We wait until we can see him work and then realize that he will work for a purpose, that it'll bring him glory but just like them, it'll be for our good. They won the battle and totally annihilated the Gibeonites or the Amorites that had come against them. God never asked his people to do anything and then rely upon their own ability to get it done. He asked us to do something and then asked us to rely on his ability to get it done. It's a faith 
matter. You want God to get involved? Well, make sure your need is legitimate. Go to his word and see his promises. And then ask him to get involved. And he'll make himself known. I've been listening to this man, uh, Montana and Madison, uh, get tired of me listening to him. Uh, he's a, you've heard me talk about him. He's a professor. Look at Montana Green. He's a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. His name's Jordan Peterson. And he's not a believer. Um, he's about that close, though, and I'm just waiting. I mean, he's so close to being a believer. And I just pray that, that ooh, God will take you because I think he'll be a powerful force. And his mind just works about 30 levels above anybody else's that I've ever heard speak in my life. And uh, But anyway, he was debating an atheist. And, and that's why I like to listen to him because he causes me to think about my beliefs and challenge me to come up, well, like Peter said, be ready to give a defense, an answer for why we believe what we believe. And, uh, but anyway, this man... Uh, said, are you telling me that you believe in miracles? Is it, are you telling me? Now, this man was a scientist, and I mean, he believed in the scientific theory and all of that stuff. And he said, you mean to tell me that you believe this man, Jesus, was so different that he was able to... Name me one miracle that he did. And without missing a beat, he said, Jesus said, give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God." there you have the separation of church and state. My friend, that is a miracle. You see, some miracles don't have to be the sun standing still to still be a miracle. I had this fellow one time, I was in the prison, I'm going to close with this. Um, he liked to pick the guitar and over at the chapel they had a guitar, they'd go over and sign that thing out and pick it and play and he was good he was very very good uh, but anyway I heard him sing a song one time and I, it's of, I guess a popular country song but when I was thinking about this tonight about God getting in the fight and us seeing him do miracles and he does that for a purpose I thought about that song I want to sing you the words right now real quick and talking about miracles not having to be the sun standing still or turning the water into wine. Here, here's how that song went. Went something like this. Tonight I'm as low as any man can go. I'm down and I can't fall much farther. But once upon a time you turned the water into wine. Now on my knees I'm praying to your father. Please help me turn this wine back into water. You see, I would say to you that turning the wine back into water for someone who's addicted to alcohol is a much greater miracle than turning the water into wine in the first place. God can work, but we've got to ask him to get in the fight. And every person here tonight, I don't want to scare you, <laughs> but you're in the battle of your life, whether you know it or not best thing we can do is say, God, he's too big, 
and he's going to knock me out with the first punch. So I need you to get in the ring with me and fight my battles for me. And then I promise you, church, we can see miracles take place. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. And Lord, as I thought about Papaw and God, uh, hearing that song, wine back in the water, son. Lord, even hearing Father alone, God, how my heart was touched that you are a miracle working God. Lord, it may not be the sun standing still, but God, when you work in the hearts and lives of your people, it's no less a miracle. And you want to fight on our behalf. So God, help us tonight not to be too proud to ask when we need it. And God, will praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.